I'm Cassandra Storm, and welcome to part three of the interview with Mary and Tina White. Last week, we heard about Tina's transition from her own perspective, and the week before, we heard it from Mary's. Tonight, join us as Mary and Tina sit together to talk about their life, love, and marriage through transition. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Thank you, Mary and Tina, for everything that you had shared with us. I'd love to know is um, what is it like for you to counsel other couples? I know a lot of couples do struggle with staying together through transition. And how did you find yourselves in this position? Of talking to other couples? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I often talk to the spouse. And when I'm talking to them, I just try to tell them, you know, don't, don't make rash decisions. Take your time. Um, and it's okay if you don't stay together. But uh, know that if you do stay together <clears throat> and your best friends are good enough friends, it could come out to be a fantastic relationship like we have. And, you know, I, there were times when I wanted to just throw in the towel, but I'm glad I didn't. So my recommendation is, you know, take your time. Don't make a rash decision. We first got drawn into it at conferences and at most of these transgender or <clears throat> genderqueer conferences, they'll have a couple of workshops for couples. We started going to those and learned a lot from those. And we also found that people valued our, our experience. Because I'm so public in my role, I often get phone calls from people. Uh, my dad, a minister, got a call from another minister, the church organist at a, at a church in another city, uh, was planning to transition and they and their wife needed counseling. I just got a call this week from not a couple, but from a father whose whose child is transitioning, and it's someone in England. And uh, so we get the calls. If it's a couple, I usually get them to start with Mary, uh, because if we're doing, and I, I don't know that I call it counseling because we're not qualified counselors, but if we're talking to a couple, I want to make sure we're really talking to the couple and not just to the to the person who's transitioning. And I want the spouse who is often overlooked to feel that they're the starting point. And, and then to the extent they signal that they'd love to hear my perspective too, um, they'd love to have all of us meet, that's great. But I always start by just connecting the spouse with Mary because I think there's too little of that counseling going on. Yeah, quite frankly, when you were transitioning, I did feel like I was a wallflower because it was all about you. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was difficult. I had noticed that when you were, Tina, when you were um, connecting with your daughter, Evelyn, she would talk about how you wanted to talk about different things as Tina than as her dad, Tom. 
Um, and a lot of that she acknowledged was because of the absorption you have when you go through a transition. Um, so that's something that you see is, is happening with other couples when somebody transitions as well. Sure. When, when I was with my children, the safest thing for me to do was to share my logical work side with them. And so they saw this very stable and kind of eggheady father. And suddenly I want to talk about makeup. Um, <laughs> and what's, what's important is that for them, that was their experience, that father they knew. And, and to have that just evaporate, uh, I might make sense of that because I'm inside sort of pulling all the, the little levers. But to them, it's like, who just walked into the room and what's the connection? Um, and I think that sometimes we, we who are transitioning, we're so excited about the quote unquote new us, the us we've been hiding. We don't take time to let people make a link between the person that they knew and loved and the new us. And we sort of just throw that person aside. But that's, that's actually our greatest asset. That is the person that they connected to. Um, and it's, I, I think it's important, particularly with your spouse, to share that and, and, and to help them make that link, which takes a long time. It does take a long time. I felt like uh, when you were first transitioning, it was living with a teenager. <laughs> By Laura Ashley Pays was the oh worst. Oh my God. But I couldn't avoid it. I, I had to have this Laura Ashley um, flower, uh, floral bedspread. And I just needed it. Now, and then I had it for a month and I was done. And I'm glad that I did it. I am so glad she put up with it. And I'm sure she's glad that it only lasted a month. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I think that um, children, they learn through role playing. I mean, I think we all do more than we recognize. And even as adults, we do. And so I think I had to sort of in a um, very compressed period of time, sort of work through a lot of those things that I'd been sort of a bystander for as a, as a teenager, as a child. Um, and then once I experienced it, it was, okay, now I own that. Oh, I'm so much older than that. Let's put that away. Um, and I don't, sad news perhaps for spouses, I don't, I, I don't think you can avoid going through that. I think you can control it. I was wondering Manage if it was it. a typical thing everybody goes through that, you know, mini skirts and inappropriate clothing for their age. <laughs> you know, does everybody go through that? I don't know, but holy cow. Yeah, I am. I, I give a lot of seminars, um, especially alongside my friend Lindsay Taub, talking to um, folks who are somewhere on the transitioning spectrum about literally just finding celebrities that are in their age range that they want, that they respect and emulate the way they dress. You can't be 65 and dress like you're 15. Exactly. Well, I understand the need for it. <laughs> you know, if you, you can, but you look experience. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and if you need to, that's where I say, then be smart about it and uh, go away for a weekend with, with some trans, find a space where you can manage that. If you've got to do it, do it, get through it, you will. I, um, but, uh, and, and that's something with my daughter. I think what I wanted to share was very natural. I think I put too much on her to make her the one I wanted to share that with, which I meant as a compliment, but it just wasn't. And, and that's where I do worry uh, transgender people who are in the midst of their transition can be very lonely people. I mean, their spouses are lonely, but when they're lonely, and, and one of the things I counsel them to do is to find some other friends or events or places or, or groups that they can join so that they can, what they want to express and experience is legitimate, but it's asking a lot to ask everyone else to sort of live through this, every, everything you experience. Um, Mary, what was it like for you to go to conferences as a spouse? You know, we, you're talking about um, speaking to spouses kind of two on two, to right. couples, two on two. Um, but you know, when you go to a, a conference, many of them do have spouse support groups, but you're also interacting with um, lots of different types of people all on different paths of their journey. Um, and not everybody, you know, we're talking about dress, not everybody dressed as professionally as, as Tina does now. What was that exposure an experience like to you? My gosh, that first one we went to. Well, when we're when she was figuring out this is probably what it is, we said let's go find conferences so we can get an idea what it is, what what to expect. That first one we went to was in Philadelphia. Do you remember the name of it? That was IFGE, which no longer exists. They were. It was crazy. It was. I thought, oh my god. Um, because there were people who dress up like um, ride a tricycle and with a beard and a dress and a lollipop. And I'm like, what the heck is this? What is this? I was so scared. I did not know. But that one was frightening. Very, very frightening. Um, although I did go to a couple of conferences there that really helped me. One was about... Um, in, in utero, when a baby is being developed, they start out, they, everybody starts out as a female, and um, they, they have theories that perhaps when testosterone is introduced for a male, it doesn't, it doesn't hit both the brain and the, and the um, genitals, and so that's where the mismatch might be. So that really helped me. It gave me something to hold on to, to say, maybe that's what's going on. So that was really helpful for me. And then, um, the Keystone Conference, um, that one was, uh, I, I think I identified better with that one. We were further down the path and I got to talk to other spouses, um, which was nice. And I did go to the spousal groups. And when, then I did actually speak at one of those conferences to just talk to uh, both spouses and uh the transgender person as well to say, you know, 
what I went through. And I think that that helped them to see what a spouse would go through. So yeah, it was super frightening, super, super frightening. But um, Keystone made me feel better. And Keystone was my first experience. And I think for people, it's like you're talking about, it's finding the right conference for you. Um, I know at Keystone, in, in my experience, is probably what I understand to be one of the most conservative conferences and what they expect. Like they expect professional like business attire from their attendees. Like you are attending a conference with seminars and socializing. Um, I miss a lot of the stuff that happens when I'm doing portraits, but my staff would tell me they would see somebody dressed. Um, one time somebody came out of the elevator like as a dominatrix and a sub leashed in leather and somebody immediately went over and said, nope, that's for your bedroom. You, this is not, this is not how we dress on the main conference floor. That's probably why I felt it so much more comfortable because <laughs> we saw all that in another conference, which was scary. I, was, I thought, oh my God, is that what I've, is that what we're headed toward? Because, <laughs> 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 you know, I'm kind of, I'm pretty conservative, I think, as far as, you know, the way I live. I'm, I'm very liberal on my political beliefs, but in my, in the way people live, but I, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, and what was that like for you, Tina, to take Mary to a conference for the first time and to experience more people who are transgender and more and and possibly interact with other spouses i'm i'm very glad she came with me because we were able to experience this together up until i went to my first conference which was with mary the only experience i had was my own and living very closeted and originally thinking I was the only person in the world with this. And so when I went to my first conference, I was just as freaked out because you do meet all sorts. And, and I called it window shopping because I'm just sitting there unconsciously and I'm looking, is that going to be me? Is that me? Is that me? And it's very useful. I, I think it's <laughs> one, of the, one of the best things you can do if you're trying to figure things out is to go to hang out with 500 of your best friends. <laughs> Because you will see so many different personalities and we are not one type. We are very individual and you only really see that when you're with 50 or more. And um, just getting to know what, what do they have in common? What's different? Uh, and so to have her experiencing with me at the same time, we were both freaked out and we were both able to kind of talk about that. I think it helped her to see that I was as Not, confused, yeah, <laughs> um, and um, the, the the main difference between us was I was confused, but didn't feel I had an option. I just had to figure out which you know which which door number was mine, um, and she was meanwhile saying which door number will Tina pick? Yeah, true. And a lot of a lot of the um, people that were there were really surprised I was there. They said they could, couldn't get their wives to go. And they thought it was amazing that I, I went, but I wanted to find out what are we up against? What's going to happen? Yeah. I encourage, I would encourage people to go to those, uh, the spouses too, so they can find out what's going on and really 
talk to other people that are going through this and then you realize, you know, this is not a choice. They have to do it. Nobody would choose it, you know? And if you do go, you don't have to go to the entire thing. That's true. I, I mean, I do think it's very important to honor the boundaries that if, if you're feeling suffocated, leave. Uh, go take a break, go visit museums or individually or together, but mm -hmm. um, you, you learn a lot, as scary as it can feel, you learn a lot. Uh, and part of what you learn is that you're not going to, these are all gentle souls yeah. at, these, at these meetings, and they're just good people. They are. Um, and um, that's kind of comforting. And you turned out great. <laughs> that was my coaching. <laughs> I love that advice. I mean, for for so many different things in life beyond just going to a transgender conference. I mean, conference any conference in general is an intense experience. Um, I just did a virtual business conference for a weekend about a month ago, and it was so intense. I had to check off of Zoom the last day. Like halfway through the last day, I just knew mentally and emotionally, I, I was done. I like to go. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the the, um, the my two favorite conferences. One would be Keystone, and the other would be almost at the other end of the spectrum would be Trans Health Philadelphia, and that attracts a very young crowd, much more uh, queer mm -hmm. in in um, in terms of the composition of people. And what I like about that, I may not identify with everything, but there I'm learning a lot. And again, I think that identities are things you have to experience. And so you, you just have to spend time meeting them, talking to them, having lunch with, with people who you might think are the same or different. And it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, that was a very interesting one. Very young. It was nice to talk to young people to see what they're going through. Yeah. That was the first place I talked to a trans man who was there. Hmm. Yeah. So what does the uh, future hold for the two of you with all of your activism, the travel that you love to do in a post COVID world? Um, you know, Tina, you talked about how your therapist has said you have to give it five to 10 years. We're past that. What's the next five to 10 look like? It's crazy. We're past that. I think now we're just concerned with aging. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, Go see some plastic surgeons. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think except, as I said earlier, if I weren't an ambassador you know, out there and if this weren't a big issue for the world, I wouldn't be thinking about this at all. I would be thinking about either other social justice issues, or I'd be thinking about where gardening. we could go travel or gardening or going to see the kids. I really don't, I don't think about it at all. Um, my identity uh, on my own, I do it constantly because, it, because I, I, I am a, a public figure. And I don't mind that, but that's very differently motivated. I hope in a couple of years, I've, I've noticed a lot of other trans activists in the past 
seemed to have about five to 10 years where they were activists. And then I noticed they all kind of, kind of say, okay, I just want to go enjoy being me now because yeah. it took me long enough. And I think in two or three years, I would like to just kind of not be quiet, but as far as gender identity is concerned, I'd love just to go enjoy it. Yeah, that's a good point. I can tell you what I'm going to do as soon as this COVID thing's over. We're doing our Portugal trip. <laughs> My big thing is travel. I love it. We do one big trip a year and uh, we lost it this year, of course. We might lose it next year too, but yeah, haven't, uh, that's my big thing. Plus, you know, my, what I do with my kids and uh, volunteering at the hospital, once that opens up again, I always like doing that because I help people. I like that. And human rights campaign. Yeah, I, I, I think that when you, if you strip away this one feature, we're, we're just as exciting and boring as anyone else. And I, I hope boring. someday, <laughs> I said exciting and boring, you're excited and boring. Um, but no, I, yeah, I think about gardening or I think about a, a wood project and, and I, I think it's the world that's obsessed. I think the greatest gift that my gender identity gave me is I really have an appreciation for how seldom we see the person inside each other. We always stereotype. There is a beautiful woman. She must be very nice. Or there's a black person. And I, I'll have all sorts of things I think about a black person. But actually, I don't know anything about that person. I know what I know is what stereotypes come to mind for me when I look at someone. So whenever I label someone, whether it's race, religion, height, the fact that that stood out for me tells me nothing about that person. It tells me everything about me. Uh, an experiment that I started to engage in a couple of years, actually now yeah, five years ago, with my children was what if I didn't, refer to them by their gender or as my children. And I, at first I thought, well, what a horrible thought. It's like disowning your children, but I tried it and just internally. And it was so cool because I realized there was so much about my son that I didn't know because I would always refer to him as my son. And both of those words are actually self-referential. They define him in terms of me. And when I took those away, I suddenly realized, wow, I don't know about, you know, what's he doing with his friends? Uh, I don't know all these other things that were about him as a, as a young man. Um, and it made me more curious. And so whenever I meet people now, I try just in, internally to strip away all the labels that come to my mind immediately. And I park those because those tell me about me. And I just say, well, what could I get to know about this, this person? Um, and, and that I think is the gift my gender gave me was by having to struggle through that. I really understand. I, I think I appreciate in a way many people don't how prone all of us are to labeling and even for better, we say, wow, um, they've got a nice smile. They must be a nice person. 
we don't know that. Um, and, and I think that I would encourage all people to, to just really try to get to know the person, challenge yourself. Do you really know the person inside anyone around you? And what would you do to, to get to know them? And Mary and I have, people will often sort of voce, you know, ask us, but what about, you know, what have you lost? And I think we have lost some things that, some expressions of intimacy that, that we might have shared, but we have so many more new ones and we know so much more about the other and um, very deep things about each other. And what a gift. Yeah. And, and that would be my, I, I wouldn't tell couples you should stay together, but what an opportunity to actually both really find out about yourselves and each other in a way that you probably didn't if you were just kind of each playing roles that were ascribed to you. And that, that applies to anything be, way beyond gender identity. It apply, applies to any form of identity. Yes, I, I think we just picked the topic for your next book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am thinking a lot about, um, I'll give you one more. Uh, um, poor Mary's heard this a few times. <laughs> uh, so there was Robert Persig, he was the author of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which was a big book in the 70s. Um, and at, shortly after he published the book and went on to fame, he was, he was on an Indian reservation in South Dakota and he was walking in the back country with, the, with Chief Joe, he was the tribal chief, and with this other woman. And they're walking along and this dog comes sauntering out from behind them and disappears into the brush. And the woman turns to the chief and says, what kind of dog is that? And he thinks for a minute and he says, it's a good dog. I love this story. And Persig's head just exploded because he realized that we Westerners are trained in Aristotelian logic that you, you understand something by categorizing it. Is it four-legged, two-legged, animal, vegetable, mineral, male, female? And that this Indian understood intuitively that, that none of those describe that being's essential qualities, the qualities that really matter. You just know that they're four-legged or two-legged, black, white. And he went to, what would I really want to know about the dog? What are its essential qualities? Oh, it's a good dog. And I feel, um, I'm confident that I am a good dog. Um, I love that story. If you want to debate labels, we can, but does that really matter? That just says it so clearly, doesn't it? It's just awesome. <laughs> Love that. See, I thought I had the quote picked out for this interview, and I think the quote's going to be, I'm a good dog. There you go. <laughs> Thank you both so very much. For You're welcome. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Thank you. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I wish you both a, a, a beautiful future. Um, cannot wait for you to finally take your trip to Portugal. <laughs> and uh, I'm excited to see how many people reach out and buy Between um, Shadow and Sun, my new favorite book. So. <laughs>
Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. Yeah, uh, what I don't mind if you call it good dog. I've often thought of that because I love the story, but I have worried would it hurt the community if somehow that meme got out there that were dogs. dogs. Yeah. And I don't know, yeah. but I, I leave that to, to your good judgment. <laughs> it's okay. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But I wish you both a, a beautiful day. Thank you for your time. Thank you to um, our members who help keep us going. Thank you to our listeners. If you believe that um, we should continue with great episodes and interviews like this, supporting the trans community, please sign up for our wait list. Uh, you can sign up at info at CassandraStorm.com for when our membership reopens in 2021. So we appreciate everyone's support. And Tina and Mary, thank you so much again for your time and for your honesty and, and for everything that you shared with us. I know that you have helped so many people today. Thank you. Thank you and you're welcome. Have a great day. Ready for more of Mary and Tina? They are joining us live Tuesday night, 8 p.m. for Trans Tuesday, which we host every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on our Facebook page, My Feminine Heart. If you would like to ask Mary and Tina questions about their journey, their love story, their marriage together, you can join us in the live chat and experience the magic as we all celebrate this journey. We look forward to seeing you Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern on our Facebook page, My Feminine Heart. Thank you.